When addressing the super apostles that were coming against Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church and soliciting them for notoriety and greed, Paul counters their boasting by providing an account of his sufferings as an apostle of Christ. Paul demonstrated both confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as well as humility. He demonstrated boldness in his call from Christ while exhibiting brokenness before the Lord, rejoicing in trials and tribulations. When we look at the history of the early church and the lives of the apostles of Christ, 11 of the 12 were martyred for the sake of Christ. They counted the cost of their lives as worthy for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what strikes me in these passages is that Paul did not revile those, nor did he instruct them not to touch him due to the anointing on him from God. He was bold in his speech towards them as they were false apostles who were deceiving the Corinthian church, undermining what Paul had taught them and calling Paul's apostleship into question, which had been granted by Christ Jesus himself. Paul never said to them, touch not my anointed and do God's prophets no harm. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Scribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. So I have a question for you. Have you ever heard this verse of scripture used out of context? It's the one I just quoted a minute ago, and I'm sure that you probably have. You've seen it in uh, social media posts and hashtags, touch not, do my prophets no harm. We've probably seen this in some way, shape, or fashion. Maybe you've said it. I know I have in the past, and not realizing that I was saying it out of context. So this scripture, we're actually going to talk about this today and break it down, look at the proper use of it and what it actually means. And then I have a few things to share with you at the end that are going to encourage you. So I'm sure you likely have at some point or another, as I said, have heard this or said it. It is used to discourage others from questioning teachings of leaders. And at times it almost seems as if the use is geared in such a way that something bad will happen to the person that's questioning the leader or questioning the teaching. Or if you say anything seeming to be against the man or woman of God, that there's going to be some sort of punishment that comes on you because you're touching God's anointing and you're not to do the prophets any harm. But when we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to find that it does not hold the meaning that we may think that it does. So the actual passage originated from Psalm chapter 105, verse 15, and it's also found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 22. So we can see in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, the context to which the song was sang before the Lord. And this is a context that we're going to miss in just seeing it in Psalm, the book of Psalms. But if we look at it in First Chronicles, then we're going to get the context of what's being said here and why. So in First Chronicles 16, the Ark of the Covenant had been brought to the city of David and it was placed into the tent, which was where the temple, the makeshift temple, so to speak, was going to be that David wanted to have the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant there so that people could worship and glorify the Lord. And so it's the Ark of the Covenant's brought into the city of David, placed into the tent, and a song of thanks was sang by King David during this time. And in it, he tells of the majesty and the glory of the Lord. He's recalling the promises to Abraham and to his offspring. And then David goes on to tell of the Israelites being led out of Egypt and how the nations were instructed in verse 22 to touch not the anointed and do the prophets no harm. 
Now, when we look at who the anointed were in context, we can see that this is referring to the people of Israel. And we also know that kings were those who were anointed in the time when Israel and Judah had kings to rule over them. So the idea of not touching God's anointed is also seen in the account of 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6. And a lot of us may know this account easily and, and it heard it quite often. But this is where David is in the cave and he's hiding out with his men. Saul comes in and David comes up behind Saul without him knowing and he cuts off a portion of his robe. And then after this happens, when Saul goes out of the cave, David goes to talk to Saul or confront him and shows him the portion of the robe that he cut off. And he talks about how he will not lay a hand, ever lay a hand. In the whole process of this account, he mentions in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 24, he talks about how he will never lay, lift a hand against Saul because Saul is the king that God has anointed. And so it's also... Um, referred to in that passage. Now, when we say touch not the anointed, we need to look at the context of what it means to touch, because sometimes people use this passage of scripture. And again, I have been guilty of doing this too. So not throwing any stones, but we're trying to get the right context here. So that way we, we honor God's word the right way. But in this context of touch not, when we look at the Hebrew meaning of touch, this actually means to do physical harm. It's not what is taking place in the believers in Christ when when people are calling teaching into question or addressing leaders that could be bringing false teaching to the body of Christ or even just presenting a simple question with regards to a teaching that may or may not be problematic. So we have to look at this in context. This has nothing to do about a quote. I've heard people say they put their mouth on a minister or put your mouth on a person. It has nothing to do with this. What it has to do with is what was applied to Israel in that time. And so this means to physically do harm to people. And that's not what's taking place when there are believers in Christ that are not abandoning critical reasoning and biblical truth and rather, they are presenting questions or disputes against teaching. No one is being threatened with physical harm in these situations. And frankly, if they are, then we have a very different issue on our hands that needs correction in and of itself. So in context in this passage, we can see in Psalm 105, 15 and 1 Chronicles 16, 22, that this passage has nothing to do with questioning teaching being presented to the flock of God. And these passages have nothing to do with us. They were applicable for a time long gone pertaining to Israel and to David's attitude with regards to Saul about physically harming him. And what's more, when we look at this, this was in context with regarding Israel. It was in context to nations they were coming in contact with. And as they came through their land, the instruction of the Lord was touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. So when we think about this misuse of scripture, which may or may not be intentional in intimidating others, I'm not judging anybody's heart. Only God can judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. But it reminded me of the Apostle Paul and the things he endured for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And I immediately thought of 2 Corinthians 11. You know, when Paul is addressing the, the super apostles in 2 Corinthians 11, and these were people that were calling into question Paul's authority and teaching uh, while soliciting the Corinthian church. And they were, they were soliciting them out of their own greed, these super apostles were, for their own notoriety, their own greed, their own agenda. And Paul tells of his sufferings as, a, as an apostle of Christ. That was one of the things that marked him as an apostle versus these super apostles. They were not willing to suffer, but this apostle of Christ 
who was one of the ones that laid the foundation of the scripture in the New Testament, he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journey in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And then Paul goes on to say a few verses further down, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He goes on later to say in verse 30, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we can see that Paul did not adopt this attitude of being called into question. He did not use the card of touch not. There was no touch not card that that Paul pulled on people. He knew that part of sharing the gospel was being scrutinized for what was being taught, which was applauded, as we will see in just a moment, by Paul himself. And it was also going to bear the brunt of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul had physical hands laid on him for the sake of Christ. And yet he did not have disdain for his suffering, nor did he warn the men who doled out the beatings and such to not touch him because of his anointing. He did not issue threats to the Bereans for searching the scriptures to see if what he said to them was so. We find this account in Acts 17 verse 11. Have you ever heard anybody tell you to be a Berean? It's a good practice to have. We need to be Bereans. We need to be opening our Bibles, studying the scripture outside the corporate gathering, making sure that we understand it in context and what we're being taught is biblical. In fact, Paul said that these Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because of the very steps they took to test what he said against scripture and to see if it was the truth. It is also worth noting that the latter part of this passage being addressed here Tells of the prophets doing no harm, as we're going back to Psalm 105.15 and 1 Chronicles 16.22. We see the last half of that; those passages both talk about, do my prophets no harm. And we know that though the kings and foreign nations may not have had a direct hand in the killing of the prophets of Israel, the people of Israel did. We see some of this mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, which Hebrews 11 is the passage about the hall of faith. A lot of people call that. And it's a very encouraging chapter that we can look at and we can be encouraged by as we see these that were believers, even in the Old Testament, that had faith in God. It was not faith in themselves, but faith in God. And some of it in verse 13, for example, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They were looking to a better country, a heavenly one. And God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This entire chapter is encouraging other believers and giving a testimony of faith in God and his promises and the promises that he made 
even in the old covenant that were yet to be seen and fulfilled in the new. Verse 39 goes on in chapter 11 to say, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. However, there is a a little section in Hebrews 11 that's not talked about a whole lot. It seems like that we all have this tendency of wanting just to look at the parts that are easy, that are going to encourage us the most. But this entire chapter, even the parts that are difficult to read and hard to swallow, are meant to encourage us. And here it is. In Hebrews 11.35, which some people typically stop at the first half of verse 35, they stop at women receive back their dead by resurrection. Well, Praise God. That's a great testimony to see there in the Old Testament. But it doesn't stop there. That passage continues. It says, and this is in chapter 11, by the way, in Hebrews, this is the hall of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. The account is, I believe, that that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was the one that was sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the whole world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So we can see here that this is a very encouraging passage of Scripture that helps us to see that those that were considered the hall of faith were also those that had faith in the midst of suffering, in the midst of even though they were prophets that they were not to be harmed their own people harmed them because they did not want to hear the call to repentance, the call to, that that there was idolatry within their camp and that they were coming against the Lord and sinning and defying God in his in his instruction and in his law to them of to not to worship other gods among other things that they were doing. So we see that these that are listed in the hall of faith here This is referring, much of it is referring to the prophets of the Old Testament. And so they were harmed. There's no way to get around that. We also see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15 that Paul testified to the church in Thessalonica that they were suffering the same things from their own countrymen as they did the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And let us not forget John the Baptist who was beheaded. Authentic prophets knew that they would face persecution because of the message that they released, and yet in spite of the persecution and threat of death, they ministered the word of the Lord. And let us not forget, above all, our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the anointed one, which is what Christ means. And he never told them to not touch him because he was anointed. He was fulfilling the call of God. He was fulfilling the Holy Scripture, the prophecies that were given, that he would be the lamb who would be slain for the sins of the world and that he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and he would be the atonement of sin. So now that I've encouraged you with uh, the hall of faith of the ones that were suffering and persecuted for the sake of the Lord and not focusing on all the rest, even though they're all important, I do want to encourage you in this. When we're talking about this passage in Psalm 105, 15 and 1 Chronicles 16, 22 of touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm, I want to shake off the fear that you may have of calling things into question. There is not a hierarchy in the church as taking Psalm 105, 15 could be misconstrued. 
Upon reading and examining the New Testament, we find the anointing being given to all believers. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It mentions nothing of levels of the anointing being given to believers. John chapter 14, verse 16 says that believers in Christ are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 states that believers have been anointed by Christ. There is no mention of a particular class of believers being more anointed than the other. See, we are all held to accountability by the Word of God, by God Himself. And leaders are not above correction. None of us are above correction. None of us are above being questioned. And we do know that even teachers are going to be held to a higher accountability when they stand before God for what they've taught because it is going to affect many people. It's not just that one person, but they have the ability to affect many people. And that's not something to take lightly. We want to honor God with his word and and honor him the right way. And we also want to be discerning people, not to throw out critical reasoning, but we want to make sure that we are honoring God and that we're, we're learning the truth and we're being led by the truth and we're not being led by winds of doctrine that are going to blow us every which way, because then it's going to keep us from maturing the way that we need to in Christ. The word of God is so helpful to us. I hope that this topic of discussion has been clarifying and maybe even liberating. We need not be fearful to ask questions pertaining to teaching from a particular minister, whether the questions are for better understanding or when the scripture contradicts the presented message or doctrine. It is important as believers that we do not abandon critical reasoning while at the same time having a right attitude and a right heart when asking questions with our ultimate goal being to glorify Christ and to be led into all truth. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.